0: The following program is an MLWRadio.com
1: production. Today it's all about the Enforcer Arn Anderson himself. And uh, Arn Anderson was famous for holding up the four fingers for the four horsemen. And there are four reasons that you need to call First Family Mortgage. Number one, no house payments for two months. That's right. It's your single biggest bill, and you can skip your house payments for the next two months. And you can do that right now at 888-425-0105. And number two, well, you're going to get a lower monthly payment. Two months from now, when you're making your new house payment, you're going to have a cheaper monthly payment. It's not a matter of if we can save you money. It's a matter of how much. Reason number three, well, you can get rid of all your credit card debt. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this, but if you've got a home equity line of credit, if you've got credit card debt, or maybe some car payments, we can even help you get rid of those too, and you can do it right now at 1FMC.com. And last but certainly not least, reason number four to call First Family Mortgage, well, we're going to get you out of debt faster. You see, what's most important is how much interest you pay over the life of your loan. How much does your house actually cost you? Everyone with a mortgage right now listening knows to the penny what that house payment is. I challenge you to take that, punch it in your calculator, and multiply it by 360. That's what you actually wind up paying for your house over a 30-year loan. That's what you're really paying for your house, and you know you can do better call First Family Mortgage. Find out how much money you can save for free and do it right now at 888-425-0105 or get a quick quote online at 1fmc.com.
2: We are proud to represent the NWA. We're proud, second of all, maybe even first of all, to represent your company. I'm talking Jim Crocker Promotions. By being the World Tag Team Champions in various states, very easily we are the best at what we do. You didn't hear any music, you didn't see any face paint, you don't see any glitter. What you see is plain boots and plain tots. And what you also saw was plain wrestling, which is on the marquee. These days our business gets glamorized by different aspects and different people. There's some of them like to the call it showbiz, a lot of people like to think they're stars. Tully and myself, Ric Flair, James J. Dillon, know that stars are in the sky and stars are in Hollywood. What we are as professional athletes. And every time we come to a building, you gotta know, your brothers gotta know, those people that have watched us for a lot of years gotta know, that's the reason they keep coming back. And last but not least, we gotta know that whether we're sick, whether we're hurting a little bit, whether we got problems at home, or we had problems making our plane, we give you 110% because that's what you pay for. And regardless of what you think, Luger, these people that buy these tickets don't pay our salary. His brother and he does, and they pay us real well because we're worth every nickel. Now, when you look in these eyes and you look at that match, that just takes place. You see a little Anderson fire coming back because that's my roots. I was learned it. I was taught the old way. It is take a body part and render it useless. And my friend, a three-legged table is worth nothing to anybody. So in the Crockett Cup, that 20-inch arm of yours, Luger, can be just as useless as the one we just showed you. We are the best. We are the horse. Back at ringside, Arn Anderson in the ring against... Sam Houston on Anderson John. First time we've seen him here on the worldwide wrestling, but he brings quite a reputation with him. He sure has an established background, that's for sure. And being out of the Anderson family, you know he's a cousin of Oli and, and Gene and that's, that's quite a, of quite a lot right there. Gotta have a lot of wrestling background you've been in Anderson or uh, around the Anderson family. And he's an established star already. And We're gonna see how he fares right now against Sam Houston. Well, on Anderson working on Sam Houston, good move there. Welcome to WHW
0: Monday. Tony Schiavone and Conrad Thompson talking about the great years of world championship wrestling the NWA and Jim Crockett Promotions and now let's go to the ring and here's your co-host hey hey it's Conrad Thompson
1: hey hey it's Conrad Thompson and you're listening to what happened when Monday right here on the MLW radio network and the master of ceremonies Mr. Tony Schiavone is with us Tony what's going on man how are you
0: hey Conrad and hey slap dicks all over the world good to be talking to you here on MLW radio network on what happened when? Monday on the MLW Radio Network. It's good to be talking to you. Uh, we've had uh, quite a week, to say the least. Uh, and uh, we've got a great subject we'll be talking about this week. And uh, that's uh, my good friend and a guy who's uh, really an icon in pro wrestling, if you think about it
1: through the years. And that's Arn Anderson. I'm excited to talk about Arn. Uh, I want to talk about last week, too. But I feel like we should address the elephant in the room. Uh, we want to send our, our love and prayers to Ric Flair and his entire family. Uh, what a week he has had this week. I know you and I were both at the hospital and it was quite a scene and there's lots of, um, uh, fake news out there as to what was going on with Rick. But, uh, hopefully we're, uh, we're on the downhill slope now and, and we're headed where we need to be and, and things are making a turn and he's, he's kicking out, he's the dirtiest player in the game and, um. There's no way for us to really express our, our love and appreciation for Rick, because at the end of the day, this podcast only exists because Rick and I, uh, Rick introduced you and I, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, Rick has meant so much to me, uh, when I started
0: my wrestling career and when I got to meet you and started this podcast. So, uh, I honestly owe Rick flair so much, but I say that because I love the guy anybody who really knows him and is really close to him, like you and I are loves the guy, uh, because he is such a giving person. And, and again, I, I've been thinking all week about, about his children, about Ashley, about David, about Megan. And of course, uh, about Wendy. Uh, and it's, uh, it's just been a tough week. It's been a tough week for anybody who knows him. And I know it's been a tough week for a lot of the fans who consider Ric Flair, their favorite wrestler of all time. And Ric Flair, part of their childhood. Um, so, uh, again, you know, I, I, a lot of times you hear people say what I consider now is a kind of a cliche, our thoughts and prayers are with him. They say that all the time. Our thoughts and prayers are with you. But now when
1: it's happened to a close friend of yours, you really mean it
0: and yeah. you really feel that and our, our thoughts and prayers are with the family.
1: Well said, Tony, I totally agree. You know, uh, Rick's obviously got, uh, a little bit of time before he's completely out of the woods, but. Uh, he has overcome everything else. I mean, dude survived a plane crash. He's going to be able to make it through this. We just need to stay positive. And I hope you appreciate that Tony and I haven't been tweeting details and and we're not going to. And so if he or I have ignored your requests about that, it's not because, um, we don't value you as a listener or don't appreciate you, but out of respect for the family. What, you know, Dave and Megan and Ashley want out there, David, Megan, Ashley will push out there. And in the meantime, uh, we'll just kind of stay out of the way. Is that fair to say?
0: Yeah, that's fair to say. i also, uh, we are very close to the family. Uh, we know the family, both you and I, uh, and so we have been very, very close to it. And, uh, again, we're respecting their wishes before being someone that lets the fans know what's going on. I I think if you really want to know what's going on with Rick, you should follow uh, Charlotte or Ashley on uh, on Twitter, uh, and uh, just uh, they'll let you know what's going on with Rick. But you're, you're right; he's he's making his way back. Uh, I, I and I, I just can't wait to uh, to reconnect with him again.
1: It's not really uh, our place to be breaking news or sharing private information about someone in 2017. So instead, uh, let's go. Do what we do every week here, and that's relive the good old days about one of the very greatest of all time, Mr. Arn Anderson. And I think most people most closely associate Arn with Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen, uh, but that's not the reason we're talking about him this week. It's hard to believe this, but it's been 20 years since Arn gave his very impassioned My Spot promo on Monday Nitro. It went down on August 25th, 1997. That's this coming Friday. Uh, it'll be 20 years since he retired from in-ring competition and gave his spot to Kurt Henning. And we're going to talk about that today, but let's kind of start at the beginning, I guess, Tony, when did you first meet Arn Anderson? I first met Arn Anderson, uh,
0: Conrad, when we were doing, uh, the local promos in the back, as we always called it at Jim Crockett promotions, we're talking about probably 84. Uh, maybe at the end of, I started doing those at the end of 1983, so it's either the end of 83 or the beginning of 84. I'm thinking it's the beginning of 84. And uh, he came in and started doing some promos. And I remember uh, him wearing a New York Yankees hat. Right. That, uh, and I'm, I was thinking, and I immediately struck up a friendship with Arn Anderson. Immediately. Because he was just a, an engaging, entertaining guy. People know Arn Anderson. For an entertaining, engaging guy on the air, but off the air, he's he's different, but still very entertaining and still very engaging. And we immediately struck up a friendship. And he was caught on Anderson, and you know I got the him and I knew he was uh, Marty Lundy from Rome, Georgia. And I remember giving him a hard time. I said, "You may slap that New York Yankees hat on your head and say that you're a member from the Minnesota Wrecking Crew." But when you open your mouth, you're all Rome, Georgia, <laughs> because he was. He had. Right. A, I mean, he has. He's always had a very southern draw, and uh, and I just thought it was funny. And he was good-natured, and some of his best work, fans on a, na- a national level, aren't. Uh, Conrad never saw right, and that's the the local promos that we did in the back, and they were tremendous. They were absolutely tremendous. You know, we talk so much about guys getting over because of their work, or guys getting over because of their way they could talk. He got over both ways. Right. He could do both. Well, and not many people can say that.
1: Let me ask you this: When you were talking about meeting him in the back, doing local promos, can you pin that down to a year? I guess we should remind everybody right here that your first assignment was Starcade '83, right? Right. That's that's right. When did you first meet? Arn 84, 84. Okay, it had
0: to be. Um, Arn had unless been unless in- it was the unless it was the end of 83. And again, I my first uh, the first thing that I ever did was go to Ric Flair's house interview Ric Flair for Starcade, and we're talking about October of 83. And then I went. I worked Starcade in November, but between October and November of 83, I started doing what we called interviews in the back, the local promos. Uh, every Wednesday. So you're looking at probably a total of eight weeks of doing promos in the back before the calendar turned 84. So that's when I met Arn during the, during that, that year of 1984.
1: It's worth mentioning here that, uh, Arne actually started wrestling in 82. He was trained by a fellow named Ted Lipscomb and he broke in with his shoot name, Marty Lundy. Uh, he bounced around. He did some work with, uh, Southeastern championship wrestling in 83. He worked as part of Ron Fuller's stud stable. Uh, He wrestled as Super Olympia there for a little while. And even won the NWA Southeastern Tag Titles three times with Mr. Olympia and friend of the show, Pat Rose. Uh, And just as an opportunity to catch up on some of the old-timers, I guess, Pat Rose actually does a fishing radio program in Chattanooga these days. Right, Tony? Yes, he does. It's it's such a small world. Eventually, though, one of the best things that ever happens to Arn Anderson early in his wrestling career, uh, he meets Ric Flair. And uh, according to the rumor and innuendo, Flair recommends him, as Flair did a lot back in those days, to Jim Crockett promotions. Can you speak about what that process was like? Because at the time, I feel like a lot of people took for granted that as a touring NWA champion, Rick kind of has an opportunity to see the best of everybody. And then a lot of times he would come back to Jim Crockett and say, man, you got to see these guys. Is that how that goes down? That's exactly how it goes down. That's, that's how I started. Basically,
0: I did the interview with Ric Flair and he went to Jimmy Crockett and he said, we need to use this kid, uh, because, uh, he's a pretty good announcer and that's how he would with a lot of guys. You know, Jimmy Crockett had pretty much an open door policy with wrestlers. And on on the Wednesdays that we did the the backstage interviews or the interviews in the back, uh, pretty much wrestlers kind of had the run of the whole office. They would walk around uh, and they would they would go into Jimmy's office or go into David's office and, and talk to them or go see uh, Sandy Scott who worked in the office back then or even of course Dusty who was booking. They all had offices and they would just roam around. One one funny thing was that <laughs> it was hard when we would be doing local promos, you know, you want to keep them going, right? One after another, one after another, three, two, one, cut, or or that's a wrap. Next one, and Gene Anderson would say, uh, okay, next up is Arn, uh, let's see, Ole, uh, Flair. Where's that goddamn Flair? That son of a bitch. Somebody go get him. We would always have to chase Ric Flair down and we would go into somebody would go into Jimmy's office and get him, or they go into Dusty's office and get him because Rick always had a cup of coffee in his hand walking around. So he would go in and talk to Jimmy about a lot of the guys. Right. And he talked about Arn because again, I saw Arn Anderson first as a talker, but Rick saw him as a wrestler as well. And I didn't see him wrestle that much because Rick was on the road with him. Uh, and, uh, or saw him wrestle. So, uh, yeah, he did, uh, Rick did a lot of, I don't know if it's called politicking, if you want to call it that, but did a lot of communications with the front office, especially on Wednesday when everybody was in there.
1: Well, one of the first big breaks that Arn would get would be during his time. uh, He spent working for Watts in mid South that happens towards the end of 84. He's there about five and a half months. And according to the rumor and innuendo that's out there, uh, while Arn was in the territory, he's in the locker room one day and junkyard dog makes some sort of comment. That Marty Lundy looks just like Ole Anderson. Uh, and he tells Watts to make him an Anderson. Uh, eventually, when Arn is in Georgia and he has Matt born on his side, who would eventually become Doink, they're working as a tag team here. Ole officially names Arn an Anderson. Do you remember hearing uh, how Arn became an Anderson? Is that pretty much the timeline and the story that you've heard? I never heard the junkyard dog part of it. But I always heard that
0: Ole Anderson, the word was with us that Ole Anderson looked at him and said, "You're an Anderson, right? You should be. You should be a member of the quote unquote Anderson family." And then, of course, that tied him into Ric Flair because Flair was a allegedly a cousin, right, right? A cousin of the Andersons. So that that kind of gave him the rub. Now I didn't hear the junkyard dog part of it, but I can see that happening because you know Junkyard uh, was a, a very colorful guy in the back and 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 had a good relationship with the boys and uh, but there was no question with the exception of this you know only they, they looked uh, they looked a lot a lot alike with the beard and everything in the face right and the eyes maybe but Arne Anderson's head was uh, ten times the size of anybody else's <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm saying that hopefully, hopefully that'll get back to him the old pumpkin head bucket head as we called him um, but yeah, they did look alike, and you know, uh, one thing—if—and this is one of the reasons that I really, when I was a wrestling fan—and one of the reasons I was a big wrestling fan is because Ole Anderson was such a great talker, mm-hmm. and he made it believable. And Arn Anderson was like that too. Uh, he made it believable. There were sometimes, that Arn could could get his the comedy routine that we knew from Marty Lundy in the back off camera. He could mix that in. Uh, with his Arn Anderson, uh, talk on, on camera. Uh, and th- those moments were priceless, but, uh, but they talked a lot alike. They looked a lot alike. And, uh, and that's why he became an Anderson.
1: After, um, you know, a, a brief stint in Georgia, he winds up working in the Pensacola territory and he loved that. And Arn would probably tell you that's some of the most fun he ever had in wrestling because he gets to hang out on the beach every day. And the territory wasn't super huge. So you could be at home every night. Compare that to, you know, the Bill Watts territory where you're doing two or 3000 miles a week here, you know, you're able to be on the beach and then drive to the town and then come back home and then be on the beach and then drive to the town and then come back home. He does that for about a year and a half. Uh, and he would tell you he had some of his most fun in wrestling during that time, but it's also when he's encouraged uh, by Ric Flair to send a tape of himself to Jim Crockett promotions, and he would get the tape to dusty. Uh, dusty, of course, at the time was booking the territory for Crockett. And according to the rumor and innuendo, uh, there is a promo that Arn cut, uh, on the beach in Pensacola, wearing the Yankees hat that dusty fell in love with and encouraged him to come visit him at the Crockett office in Charlotte. Did you ever hear that story? I
0: remember seeing the tape. I can't tell you exactly what was on the tape, but I remember seeing it, and I remember thinking, boy, this guy can really talk. This guy is really, really good. Now, help me out here, because I may be wrong with my years. When when was that?
1: I'm of the opinion that that would be late 84, uh, very early 85.
0: Okay, so here I am saying that I I met Arn Anderson 84. I guess, it, realistically, it was probably early 85 where I met him. Because years, I, I want to make, make sure I get these right. Because years kind of run together for me at, right now, you know. We're talking around 30-some years ago. Uh, but uh, but I remember seeing the tape. And and I remember uh, after that, you know, you, you talked about him enjoying Pensacola. He and I talked about that a lot, about how wonderful it was working in Pensacola. It was the greatest territory ever to him. But now he had a chance to make some real big money.
1: Absolutely. He did. And uh, the legend goes, uh, at least when you hear Arn tell it, that he waits forever to see Dusty. And then when Dusty finally calls him into his office, he asks, are you the kid on the tape in the Yankees hat? He says, yes, sir. According to Arn, Dusty gets very quiet for an extended period of time and then says, well, go get over. So Arn didn't officially know, am I hired? Uh, what am I going to be paid? When am I starting? What town do I report to? But that's how he was hired. Go get over. Uh, the great advice from the American dream, yeah. dusty roads. Eventually, uh, he would come into Jim Crockett promotions and, and he would start working with Manny Fernandez when he first gets there. Manny is a guy who is a little bit of a controversial figure in wrestling because depending on who you ask, you get an, a different answer. What say you, what what's the scoop on Manny Fernandez, Tony? Well, here's what I always heard about Manny Fernandez. I always heard that a lot of
0: guys didn't like him because they couldn't believe anything he said. Right. Uh, Now, my relationship with Manny Fernandez was always a good one. And, and, uh, again, uh, my relationship with Manny Fernandez came on Wednesdays when I held the microphone for him. And that was basically it. He seemed to get along with the guys. I know he had an extended period of time with Rick Rude as his tag team partner, world tag team champions. Uh, And I always heard that he and Rude never got along, but I never saw that. And Manny never told me a lie that I know of. (laughs) He may have. Well, let
1: me (laughs) me assure you, he did. You know, Uh, it feels like some of the stories that we hear from him over the years are just, I mean, the idea that anybody believes some of this stuff is hilarious.
0: Well, uh, it's maybe it's an extension of your persona. You know, if you're going to bullshit on TV, you might as well bullshit in life, right? Some people would think that. I got to look, I got to see Manny recently at an autograph signing uh, in Allentown, Pennsylvania, at Bud Carson's Pro Wrestling World. And, uh, you know, he's aged. He has a service dog with him now. And we talked, and it's the first time, Conrad, it's the first time we had seen each other since back in the old Crockett days. Wow. And he was talking about the service dog, and he was talking about. Uh, helping out uh veterans and his time in the war. Oh, that's awesome. And his time in Vietnam and that was always
1: a hilarious you know what? tidbit because for him to have been in the war when he said he was, he would have been like 15 years old.
0: And that was that was always the talk that he claimed he was in the war and everybody said, there's it, no way he was in the war and we're talking about the Vietnam
1: War. Uh who am I to say, right? Well, um Let's talk about Arn a little bit. Arn replaces yeah. Gene in the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. And, and in theory, here, he's Ole's kayfabe nephew. And they would go on to win the uh, NWA national tag team titles, which is essentially the Georgia territory. So it's Arn and Ole defeating Thunderbolt Patterson and Mandy Fernandez. That goes down in April of '85. You grew up where you could see some of the Georgia TV. Were you a big fan of the national titles, the national tag team titles? What did those mean back then?
0: With those, To me, they just meant the, the equivalent of uh, the world tag team titles that the Crockett's had. They were the top tag team of the territory, much like the United States title was the top singles title at Crockett, and the national title was the top singles title uh, in Georgia. Uh, th- that's kind of all it meant to me. And I saw Georgia Championship Wrestling uh on occasion i didn't watch it religiously like i did mid atlantic championship wrestling
1: let's talk a little bit about uh the big shows from the uh, early days here in mid atlantic the great american bash from july 6 1985 we would see arn and Ole defeat buzz sawyer and dick slater uh you, you ever talked to arn about some of his favorite tag team opponents and where do you reckon guys like buzz sawyer and dick slater would have fallen in line. These feel like two characters from wrestling's past that we'll probably never see again in the business. And that nobody like Buzz Sawyer or Dick Slater is coming down. Would you agree with that?
0: Oh, I would agree. I would think as far as a a classic worker, uh, I would think that maybe Slater was a little bit better of a classic worker because Buzz Sawyer was like a Buzz saw. I mean, he was, he was pretty rough. Uh, and, and when you would work with Buzz Sawyer and had a program with him, uh, it, it really wasn't easy because he was such a, he was such a maniac. I mean, goodness gracious. I held the microphone for Buzz Sawyer many times, uh, in the back to where he spit all over everybody screaming and hollering. Uh, and, uh, so it was, uh, man, I I'd love to see some of those matches.
1: Well, uh, some of that stuff's out there. You can catch it on YouTube or you can catch it on the WWE Network. I know for sure that Starrcade 85 from November 28th, where you would see Ole and Arn take on and defeat Wahoo McDaniel and Billy Jack Haines, that's out there. Mm. Um, Wahoo McDaniel is somebody that Ric Flair always talks about affectionately as being one of the greatest of all time. And he feels like it's a straight-up travesty that that dude's not in the Hall of Fame. How important was Wahoo McDaniel to the Jim Crockett Promotion territory and just wrestling as a whole?
0: Well, Jim uh, Wahoo McDaniel was when when I was watching wrestling. Uh, Conrad was there was their top baby face, uh, and then of course he became as I as I started working in Jim Crockett promotions, he became a, a great heel as well. Uh, and I can go I can tell you right now when you ask me straight up, what are some of the the angles that I remember, and I remember Rick Flair and Wahoo McDaniel, Indian Strap matches. I remember the one angle where Rick Flair took a two by four and hit Wahoo McDaniel in the head with it, and they showed it from the Greensboro Coliseum on TV. And he opened up Wahoo's head, and Wahoo said it had nails in it and everything, and and he was bleeding, and he opened and they, he came on TV with his head all bandaged up. Uh, and I agree, Wahoo was. One of the legitimate tough guys in our sport. Not every guy who wrestled was a legitimate tough guy, but Wahoo McDaniel was, and uh, that was that was during a magical time back then. And I agree with Ric Flair. I had Ric Flair on my radio show uh, about a month ago, over a month ago, and we asked him who he thought should be in the WWE Hall of Fame. First one he said would be Arn Anderson. He said double A because of singles, and then he mentioned
1: Wahoo McDaniel. And I agree. Of course, at the end of 85, that's when we start to see Arn and Ole teaming with Rick and Tully. Um, Arn, of course, gets the credit for naming them the four horsemen during a promo with Tony Schiavone. And we covered all of that in our horsemen episodes. Those are available now in the archives. And uh, I encourage everyone who hasn't heard episode one, uh, go check that out for sure. Now, the next thing on the horizon, and Arn has always referred to this as his world title, that's how important it was to him, is the NWA World Television title, the old red belt. uh, If you're a belt collector, this is one of the more iconic championships from the era. He would defeat Wahoo McDaniel in a tournament final on January 4th, 1986. And because of this, you would see a lot of pictures floating around in the magazines and stuff like that of Arn as both the television champion and the national tag team champion and that goes for a few months before the national tag titles are eventually abandoned in March but it's a pretty big deal when a guy has the opportunity to carry two belts at once one as a single and one as a tag it felt like at this point the promoters really had a lot of faith and confidence in arn anderson does that sound right to you
0: oh yeah you you had to uh, again and I, and I can't stress enough how important it was back in the day yeah work was good but not everybody saw you work unless they watched television. You know, most wrestling fans, the, the the idea, Conrad, and everybody needs to understand this, the idea was to try to get you to the arena to see wrestling matches. But most fans, if everybody who watched a television show came to the arena, they would sell out everywhere. Most of the fans watched you wrestle on TV for a short period of time, and it was an enhancement match. But you got over by talking, and Arn Anderson was one of the greatest talkers, and that's why he had two belts at
1: one time. Well, it's a big deal, and uh, obviously that singles belt, the television title, is one that Arn was particularly proud of. Uh, July fifth, nineteen eighty-six, is the Great American Bash. We would see Arn and Oli defeat Sam Houston and Nelson Royal, uh, and he would start working with Magnum TA. And he called at various points, TA, one of the most intense and stiff guys that he ever worked with. Did you ever have any sort of conversations with Arn about working with Magnum? I did not, but I had a conversation with Tully Blanchard
0: about working with, uh, with Magnum and Tully told me one time, he said, listen, Terry Allen basically grew up wrestling and lifting weights. So as far as athletic ability, doing other things, he didn't have that. So he was very tough to work with. In other words, Magnum was strong and Magnum lifted weights and he was a amateur wrestler. So those type of guys are normally stiff and Magnum by watching his interviews, you could tell how intense he was. So, um, uh, that, that, uh, that comment by Arn was pretty well known in the, by, from the boys that work with him.
1: Uh, Ronnie Garvin is the next guy that Arn is programmed with here and, and Somewhere Arn said, I would have rather found a building to jump off of, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is a classic Arn Anderson line. Was that kind of the rap on, on everything? Ron Garvin, the A was just stiff. And, um, I mean, give me some feedback on, on Ron Garvin and his feud here with, uh, with Arn Anderson. Well, well,
0: I, my, uh... I knew Ronnie really, really well. I think I mentioned on an on an episode of uh, of an earlier episode of what happened when Monday on the MLW Radio Network that uh, you know I was with Ronnie uh, in Detroit when he won the world title, and we and we I went out to dinner with him when he won the world title. Ronnie always tried, and there are a lot of guys like this. They always tried to make it look more than real. In other words, when you were working with Ronnie Garvin, you were going to get beat up. You really were. I saw he and Flair go toe-to-toe sometime thinking that, you know, I know these Flair chops are stiff, but, man, you got to really be able to take a punch with Ronnie Garvin going against you. And, uh, you know, everybody liked Ronnie. He was a good guy, still a great guy. I got to see him recently. Uh, But, man, he didn't know how to throw a working punch. (laughs) He didn't. Uh, it was a shooting punch from Ron Garvin. And when you go to the matches and watch him work, you'd think, uh, man, these guys are really in a fight. And yeah, they really were when they were fighting Ronnie Garvin.
1: Great American bash 86. Uh, the rock and roll express are working main events everywhere in 86. And here they're working with Arn and Ole and they go to a draw. Um, but let's fast forward to September of 86. This is where we would see the guy who Arn has said was the most characteristic performer he ever worked with, and that's Dusty Rhodes. Defeat Arn to win the NWA television title. Did you have conversations with Arn about working with Dusty? Because it feels like Dusty had uh, a bit of a love-hate relationship with Ric Flair, and because of that, maybe the rest of the Four Horsemen. Is that a fair assessment?
0: I, You know, I... Where do we get the word hate with,
1: as far as, would that be, uh, would that be, uh, ego driven? I think Rick was upset with, uh, the idea that Dusty was leaving the horseman laying every week and blah, blah, blah. He felt like maybe the booking wasn't, wasn't doing the horseman justice. Now, I don't think that was necessarily real life, but certainly in wrestling, he may have been upset about that.
0: Yeah, I, I guess I can see that. Uh, the uh, the other, and I don't ever want to dispute anything those guys said because they traveled all the time and, and they were closer to Dusty really than I was. But they were all making money, you see. So I, I don't know where the hate would come in uh, uh, because everybody was making money. But uh, there was no question that uh, working with Dusty back in the Crockett days meant you were working on top. Uh, so that was a big deal to be able to work with him, and Dusty knew how to work a crowd probably better than anybody else. And Dusty was smart, and everybody knows this, to the fact that Dusty would always put himself in the ring with someone who could work, and that would make Dusty look better.
1: Let's get to Starcade 86. This is one of the matches that hardcore Arn Anderson fans really talk about. Arn and Oli are in a steel cage working against the Rock and Roll Express for the tag team titles. The Rock and Rolls are the champs, and they retain the championship belts here. But a lot of people consider this to be one of, if not the greatest, tag team cage match ever. Uh is that something you could echo for Stark eighty six? No question. Two of the great
0: heels, two of the great baby faces, everybody was over, and nobody could sell like the Rock and Roll Express. Uh, and they had a big fan th- you know, this was in the day this was back I mean, we're talking about nineteen eighty six. When guys like Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson were over with the girls, big time, we're also over with the fans, but we're also over as baby faces. I'm not so sure that in this day and age that Ricky and Robert stuff would play. Well, I know it wouldn't. You know it wouldn't either, because fans have changed. But back then, when Arn and and uh, and Oli and Ric Flair and the Horsemen did something in a cage. Uh, There was legitimate heat back then, Uh, and uh, this will go down as one of the great uh, matches, really, of all time. You're right, uh, tag matches.
1: Antonio, we should take a break right here to let everybody know that you're still calling people whenever they pick up a shirt. We're striving to go ahead and pay for this Shivani wedding, and uh, the best way to support the show is to do exactly that. Not everybody needs a mortgage, I get that, but everybody needs to look cool and support their favorite show at the same time. And there's no better place to pick up these cool shirts than ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. That's ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. you get to relive all the funny Tonyisms that we've had here on the show. Eat, sleep, block, repeat, the Great American Block Party, Pasta Steel Rules, the Block Master, Lois Rules, Klondick. The hot tag. I'm a Tom Zink guy. Syracuse slap dicks button on a fur coat. The panty monster. Old commentary ninja. Parker's jump rope academy. We're out of time. Bill's glass bottom boat rides. Flare headed first, like a coffin on roller skates. Damn, I'm good. My wife picked this out. What a slap dick. Hypothetically, hard to beat, and maybe my new favorite. It's an airbrush T-shirt, just like Panama City Beach, circa 1999. Tony and Tom What happened when What happened when you bought a shirt Well Tony called the thank you Make it happen right now Support your favorite podcast And go to ProWrestlingTees.com Forward slash WHW So Tony I kind of want to jump around a little bit now Because I feel like A lot of the stuff that uh, Was really during the early days of the Horseman We've covered in our Horseman episode Let's just bounce around a little bit You know he He loses in the Crockett Cup To the Armstrongs um, it, a lot of people are critical of Bob Armstrong and hindsight, but at the time Arn growing up in the South and working all through the Alabama territory, bullet, Bob was, was over like Rover, right? Tremendous.
0: Absolutely. Tremendous. I, I, and, uh, a great mind for the business arn Arne Anderson never had a problem putting over,
1: uh, bullet, Bob Armstrong, and he shouldn't have a great American bash. Of course, in 87 is when we see the very first war games, most people think aren't included, that the first War Games was the best one. Do you concur?
0: Oh, yeah. There's no question. Because of the uh, the buildup, because of the unknown, uh, because of the heat that the horsemen had back then, and because back then you could juice your ass off. So it all landed for a pretty violent uh, double ring, double
1: cage match. We've Plus, touched... JR and I did the commentary, which I thought was pretty good. We've touched on this before, but a lot of guys aren't included. Uh, but it heads with Nikita Koloff around this same time. And yeah. one of the problems that Arn had, uh, according to the rumor and innuendo is that Nikita tried to keep up kayfabe, even with the boys and pretend that this was all, this character was a shoot and maybe he didn't treat the underneath guys properly. Arn has always been, uh, the guy to come out and champion the enhancement talent. He takes issue with the term jobber. Uh, he prefers the term carpenter, um, Give me your two cents on the heat with Nikita and the way Arn felt about enhancement talent.
0: I started traveling with Nikita uh, for a short period of time. uh, And Arn Anderson would get me to the side. He said, you know why he's traveling with you, don't you? And I said, no. He said, because nobody else wants to have anything to do with that motherfucker. Uh, And I I then realized that Nikita had a lot of heat with the boys. And it was because Nikita kept up the kayfabe. You know, he, somebody got to him, I don't know who it was, or he had it in his mindset that when he was going to be Nikita Koloff, he really was going to be Nikita Koloff. And he wasn't that friendly of a guy. He was very standoffish with the guys. And Arn Anderson was a, a very talkative, jovial, everybody get together and everybody have a good time. And Nikita was not like that. They were two complete different personalities. So, yeah, I knew Nikita had a lot of heat, and I heard it from Arn.
1: Let's talk a little bit about um you know the 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 Barry Windham version of the Horseman because this is the version that Arn has said he felt like was the best working version. It's Rick Arn Tully and Barry Windham. Specifically on Barry Windham, Arn has come out and said that he thought Barry Windham was a phenomenon and that he could stay up all night, have a beautiful woman on his arm and then wrestle 90 minutes the next day and do all of this without ever going to the gym. Arn's on record as saying something like Barry could have been the best for as long as he wanted to be. Um, is that kind of the, the, the two cents that you have about Barry Windham as well? Barry Wyndham was maybe quite possibly the most natural talent
0: of any worker ever. Uh, Dustin Rhodes was a lot like this when he started, but Barry could was just phenomenal and yeah. Uh, nobody drank like Barry. And nobody stayed up as late as Barry, and no one. Now, see, I don't. Th- this thing about Barry not going to the gym. I mean, Barry did not have the cut body of everybody else, but I didn't realize Barry never went to the gym. That's. Uh, I thought everybody went to the gym and at least worked on their cardio, uh, but uh, Barry was phenomenal. You know, for me, and this is because it, it, it deep in my heart, I'm, I'm very, very old school. To me, the best incarnation of the horseman, I've said this before, was the one with Oli there. Right. But Barry really brought a different, a different look to it because of what he could do in the ring.
1: And he probably, you know, hung out with the guys more than Oli did. So it did feel more like a a party unit, you know, listen, no, Oli never hung out with the guys at all. Right. Zero.
0: Um, yeah, it
1: was more of a party unit. Tully. And Arn win the tag titles from the Rock and Roll Express in 87. And arn has been on record as saying that the Rock and Roll Express feud that he had was probably the most fun he ever had. Just their string of matches, whether he was with Oli or he was with Tully, he really enjoyed working with Ricky Morton. And he thinks that Ricky's probably the most over guy at the time with the ladies he had ever worked with. And they were just super fun matches. Uh, Do you remember having conversations with Arn about who his favorite Because a lot of people kind of associate Arn as being a tag team specialist. Uh, But he's more of an individual who could be very effective with various different tag partners. Whereas the Rock and Roll Express were more of a a team, so to speak. Did you ever have conversations with Arn about that? Well,
0: let me tell you why Arn liked working with the Rock and Roll Express. Uh, There are two reasons. As far as because they were so over and because you could really get a heat on Ricky Morton, something that we talked about for so long. Uh, and as a heel, you could get a great heel react, get a great heel reaction and get a lot of heat, uh, which m- as a heel made you feel like you were doing your job. But there was another reason. And Arn Anderson, liked working with Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson had a lot of fun was every time that you would go to the ring with these guys, you knew that these guys would take care of you. Unlike Ronnie Garvin, who would beat the shit out of you. Right. Rick, Ricky and Robert were easy to work with, uh, and they weren't as quote unquote stiff. So you felt that you had, you had more of a, of a match that you could do a lot of things with. You wouldn't come out hurt unless something unusual happened. And it was just, and you would, you would have a good match without, uh, without getting the shit beat out of you. And, and that's something that Arn liked and something Arn talked about a lot because the guys, when you work every night, and twice on Sunday, uh, you've got to have easy matches or your body's not going to be able to take it. That's why he had a lot of fun, because Ricky and Robert knew how to quote-unquote work.
1: Sting and Lex Luger wind up defeating Arn and Tully to win the 88 Crockett Cup. Um, and then we see a clash of the champions that ends in a double DQ with Arn and Tully on one side, Sting and Dusty on the other. Uh, not too long after that. In July of 88, we see the Road Warriors and Dusty Rhodes beat Flair, Arn, and Tully to capture the vacant six-man tag team titles. Uh, and we start to head towards trouble here um, because we see the Great American Bash end in a draw. And then in September, the Midnight Express defeat Tully and Arn to win the tag team titles. And that goes down on September 10th. And that is the very last match that we would see with Arn and Tully. In the NWA on their way to the WWF. And Cornette says they've argued as to who would be the heels in the angle, but Dusty made the Midnight Express the baby faces, and that angle worked for a few weeks until Arn and Tully left. So let's talk about the departure and them leaving. And we've touched on this in our uh, Horseman episode before. Uh, according to the rumor and innuendo, Uh, says that they left because coming out of the great American bash, the gates were up. The houses are up. They've been promised on a contract by Crockett that they were going to get a bigger payoff from an earlier pay-per-view that never came through. And this is at a time when some guys like the road warriors are getting guaranteed money deals that are for significantly more. And Tully specifically says that their payoff was less than JJ Dillon's for that show. And they want to be done with this. Uh, allegedly, they try to address this in Houston at TV. And he says Jim Crockett didn't handle it properly, in his opinion. So Arn went and called Vince McMahon. Vince, seeing how you know integral these guys were to the competition, can't wait to get them some first-class plane tickets and fly them to Stanford Uh, they go to Vince's house and this is all while they're still working for Jim Crockett and they sit by Vince's pool and put together a deal. And then they fly back to Philly that night and tell dusty tonight's our last night and they drop the title, uh, to the midnight express. Is that the way you remember that going down? Yeah, that's the way it went down. Uh, a
0: couple of things here that, that, uh, fans have to realize there was no competition. With going to Vince's house in Greenwich, and I was there too, compared to talking to Jimmy Crockett. If you went to Greenwich and you sat by the pool, you thought, man, this is the major leagues. Jimmy Crockett and the Crockett family and David Crockett and Francis and Jackie are always close to my heart. But the realization is, and I'm sure Jimmy Crockett now would would say this, Jimmy was not an easy guy to deal with. He wasn't as personable a guy as Vince McMahon. And I had heard, look, I heard stories, and I just heard one uh, recently when I was at the Icons of Wrestling, and I'm going to bring this up, and this is going to make you smile, but Robert Gibson was talking to me about traveling with Tommy Young. <laughs> and, and he said, that they were on the road one time and they were comparing paychecks and Tommy Young got a bigger paycheck than the Rock and Roll Express did at one time, according to Robert Gibson. Uh, Now, take that what you will. I'm I'm not going to throw any heat on Tommy Young at all because Tommy deserved money. uh, And uh, what I'm trying to portray here is that Jimmy Crockett was not an easy guy to deal with, was not easy to talk to because of his personality. And I had heard a lot of times the boys didn't get paid what they should have gotten paid Maybe and we
1: were making big money. Maybe instead of, of Ricky, Robert should have been looking for the hot tag from Tommy young on Jim Crockett. Maybe Crockett mm. was Tommy young,
0: <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so, but look, Rock and Roll Express uh, every everybody in the business always thought they should have gotten paid more. Sure. And well, they still when do. you when you thought you should have gotten paid more and you went to Jimmy Crockett with it, it never usually wasn't a good talk. Uh because Jimmy could be combative at times. He really could.
1: Uh and uh Vince was was just the opposite. Let's talk uh, a little bit about that run with Vince because Arn's with the company for 14 months and he said that he left uh, because they were working 24 days a month on the road. He was never anywhere near Charlotte so he could drive home. He's got uh, a three year old son at the time who's calling him and asking him, When are you coming home? Eventually, Arn cracks with the schedule and makes a deal to come back to WCW, which was only working eight days a month at the time. So, a significant travel distance or d- difference, and that return is supposed to happen in December of '89. Uh, and Arn made this deal uh, with Tully to reform the Horsemen, and everybody's going to get a quarter million each. But before Tully leaves the WWF, he flunks a drug test for cocaine, and allegedly, when Jim Hurd finds out about it, he pulls Tully's deal and uses that news as leverage to cut Arn's deal. Cause they're less valuable if they're not a tag team and Arn goes from 250,000 down to a hundred thousand, even though Arne didn't do anything wrong, but in Hurd's opinion, at least from a negotiation standpoint, he didn't think Arne was as valuable as a singles wrestler. Is that the story you've heard? That is the true story. And what
0: the fuck did you, did Jim Hurd know? right. Every time I hear that story, it pisses me off even more. Only, book not only because I'm an Arn Anderson friend and a fan but because that's just not the way to run a business. Let's um look, Jim Hurd ran his business by chaos, by pitting people against the other, by pissing people off, and that's not the way you run a business, especially not the way you treat somebody like Arn Anderson.
1: Very quickly, once he returns, he wins the television title defeating the great Muda We haven't talked about the great mood of much here on the show. Do you got any great mood knowledge you can drop on us, Tony?
0: No, none at all. I'm sorry. I wish I did. I didn't even know him just by nodding and smiling at him with the exception of he had some phenomenal matches and probably had the better matches that he had the back in 89 when I was in the WWE.
1: Let's talk about, um, the beginning of the injury that ultimately would, would push Arn out of wrestling. Sometime in 89, when he's working for the WWF, he's working at Madison Square Garden against the Rockers, and Martin Giannetti hooks him up for a victory roll, but Arn doesn't tuck his head in time, and he lands on his head, head first, on the mat. This cracks his C5 vertebrae. He wrestles later that very same night in Boston, but he has totally wrestled almost the entire match. I don't even know that Arn actually got in. Um, Let's fast forward now into early 1990 sometime in 90 he and Olie were wrestling the steiners and his right arm goes dead during the match after he took a power slam his bicep starts to atrophy and never comes back rather than take the time off for surgery he just rehabs for three months and doesn't actually get it fixed is this the genesis of the injury as well as you know it
0: yeah, that's that's the way it happened, uh, and I can only think when you're going through that that Arn Anderson uh, was a product, and that injury and the deterioration of his of his arm and and his neck was a product of the of the time. Guys never wanted to take time off because they felt if they took time off, someone would get their spot. I don't know how it is today. Maybe you know better than I do, Conrad. Maybe guys. I mean, there's much more available to the guys today. Uh, and it wasn't until later, as you probably know, that we even had a, a trainer that traveled with the guys. Like teams do, because we were a team. But Arn Anderson should have gotten it fixed, should have gotten surgery. But he w- didn't want to get surgery because he felt that if he would have been down for any time at all, that there wouldn't have been a spot for him when, it, when he came back. Uh, th- that's a terrible thing to say about our, our business. Uh, and Arne Anderson grew up in the territories and grew up to the time to where when you worked, you got paid. And if you didn't work, you didn't get paid. And there was also something about you know, the Crockett's apparently uh, had a uh, an insurance plan in effect. Have you heard this story? I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, the, the Crockett's apparently, I don't know, and I, I'm not going to tell you the time frame, but the Crockett's apparently had an insurance plan in effect for wrestlers, trying to keep wrestlers around by saying, okay, we're going to give you insurance. But apparently the insurance premiums uh, were not paid on time, and the, guy, the boys didn't know this. And this is a very sore spot with Arn Anderson. I'm not going to throw any names about it here about who didn't pay or who didn't pay. But Arn Anderson uh, does not have uh, a very good feeling, a good taste in his mouth about the Crockett family because of problems with insurance.
2: Well, so and there that you
0: go. is probably a reason that he didn't get surgery. Now, I'm not going to say the, the Crocketts were inv- involved at that time, but. As you can see, going through, you don't have surgery, you don't have uh, medical benefits. You got to wrestle every night. You're not going to get paid, and then you you get insurance, but the insurance is not there as you think. And now you got to have surgery later on. You just don't trust anything. You just keep on working, and that's what Arn did.
1: Let me freestyle. It was Francis. Yeah, that's what I was told. Okay,
0: and I hate to say that because I love Francis. You didn't. I did. Yeah. Uh, you can okay. he-
1: heap the shit on me. Uh, hey, hey, it's Conrad. I'm the bad okay. guy. The Francis didn't pay for orange insurance. Yeah. It's okay. My fault. Yeah.
0: That. She was in charge of it and apparently didn't pay the premiums, and the boys didn't know it, and the boys thought they had health insurance and they didn't.
1: Well, that's a sad story, and this is a sad story here too, because February second, nineteen ninety one. This had to be a very emotional day for you. I mean, you talk about mixed emotions here. Arn Anderson wins the TV title, which sounds like, well, Hey, he's my friend. Why would I be sad about that? He had to defeat the Z man to do this. Hmm. Did he, one of them, how, what was the finish a roll up? I don't the know. Standing you, switch. You were calling the shit standing switch. Sounds like something you do in the bedroom.
0: Okay. Um, uh. Standing switch into a front chancery, into a roll-up, into a spine buster. Woo! You do know we got to get, get in touch with the Z-Man. You do
1: know that because,
0: <laughs> because that motherfucker is over again because of you and me.
1: I feel like you next week need to have, are you familiar with Craigslist or have you stopped getting yeah. your hookers on nah. there? You still get your nah. hookers on there? Well, they have a they have a tab called Miss Connections, and you could just you know pour your heart out to a stranger. And I feel like next week here on the program we should have Tony Schiavone write a Craigslist Miss Connections to the Z-Man. I think that's good for what ails us. All right, let's keep it going here. May nineteenth, Bobby Eaton defeats Arne Anderson to win the television title. That goes down at Super Brawl. I mention this because we have. Pretty routinely talked about Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton as being two of the most talented performers in the history of WCW, and Arn has gone on record as saying that Bobby was one of his very best friends in the business. And he says as close as he was with Bobby uh, is as close as he was with Flair. And I don't think a lot of people associate that. I think a lot of people assume that Flair and Arn were best friends, and Bobby was just you know somebody they were friendly with. But Arn thinks that Bobby is is one of the best friends he ever had. What can you tell us about? their relationship and, uh, you know, their work together. Well, they were, they were much the same type of guy. They were in what I call the redneck
0: radius of Rome, Georgia and Huntsville, Alabama. Sure. Yeah. And so they, they, they bonded that way. Uh, and they were much the same in that. Listen, Bobby Eaton and Arn Anderson as a shoot, there are some, you know, you talk to me and you say, "Was was this guy a good guy? Was this guy a good guy? Was this guy a good guy? Yeah, no, yeah, no. Some of them were. As a shoot, Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton were, and they were guys you wanted to hang out with. They were true friends. You trusted them. They were good workers. They were performers. And again, it's that redneck connection that, as you know, with your friends that you have.
1: I love you for that. Let's talk about the Enforcers. This happens around the summer of 91. Uh, Arn is now teaming with Larry Zabisco here. Uh, and I think this is kind of a forgotten version of an Arn Anderson tag team. I don't think people talk about this one enough. What can you tell us about Arne and Larry Zabisco? These, this feels like the most hilarious group of traveling companions in the history of car rides.
0: Yeah, it, it was Arn Anderson would always say, why are they booking me with that fucking cigar store Indian? Uh, and that was a reference to the fact that Larry Zabisco just stood in the corner and didn't do anything, and Arne Anderson said, "I'm doing all the fucking work," and he just standing there in the corner like a cigar store Indian, not be, not making the tag. And Larry would do that. Larry would have Arne do most of the work, and it was hilarious. the 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 back and forth that they had was hilarious. But they both, you know, respected each other a great a great deal. And even today, when I talked to Larry, I, I asked him how say How you doing, you old cigar store Indian?" Uh, and that's because of, of of what Arn Anderson said about him.
1: That was they not a they, part of my wrestling speak, but it is right now. Thank you for sharing that. Cigar store Indian,
0: cigar store Indian. Larry Zabisco standing in the corner like. A cigar. He said, "I reach up for the tag, and he ain't there. He's standing in the corner like said, That was uh, an Arn Andersonism, uh, but uh, they were but they were good because they could both talk, and they could both wrestle when Larry felt like he wanted to, <laughs> and, uh, it was a great dynamic. It really was.
1: Let's talk about, um, I, I can't believe that a lot of people sleep on this, but Arn and Larry actually beat the Steiner brothers for the WCW tag team titles. And, uh, eventually they lose those belts to Ricky Steamboat and Dustin Rhodes, uh, Dustin mm. was, a was, was announced, but Steamboat was a mystery partner and he came to the ring right. wearing a huge dragon head. I feel like Arn Anderson had a field day in the back with that shit. Um, absolutely. But the rib was on him, you know, things like that. The ribs on him though. Starcade 91 was the lethal lottery. And I'm sure Arn wanted to kill somebody when he found out he would be working a tag match with Lex Luger, Z man and Terry fucking Taylor. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when they, they showed him that, Um, um, Arn and Bobby Eaton actually form a tag team of their own, and they win the tag titles back from Steamboat and Dustin uh, in January of '92 at a house show. I know that Arn's favorite tag partner was Tully, but Bobby Eaton's probably got to be right underneath Tully for Arn, wouldn't you think?
0: Yeah, he was, because he was one of the great workers. He really was. And again, what did they call that tag team?
1: Uh, well, I think you just called it the redneck radius. We'll go
0: with that. The redneck radius or, or the white trash boys or something. I don't know. Something like that. You could have called them.
1: They made it happen. The Russell war 92 is one that we're going to cover long form at some point. I'm sure we've got sting squadron defeating the dangerous Alliance. The dangerous Alliance at the time is Arn Anderson, beautiful Bobby, Larry Zabisco, Rick rude, and Steve Austin. And a lot of people consider that to be one of the more underrated heel factions in history the idea being you're going to have kind of like an updated version of the horseman and Rick Rude is going to be the leader. Arn adds a little bit of horseman legitimacy to it and you've got outstanding workers and Larry Zabisco there too. Um what, what we haven't really talked about the dangerous alliance much. What did Arn think about being with this group?
0: I think Arn liked being with the group. And this was a dangerous alliance that had Paulie dangerously as their mouthpiece, right? That's correct. How can you not go wrong there?
1: Yeah, I mean you've got uh, in, in my opinion, obviously I love JJ Dillon, but I think as far as the mouthpiece, you know, Paul Lee is a much better promo. Uh and then you've got Still Arn and, and Beautiful Bobby are tremendous workers. Steve Austin's gonna be one of the biggest performers in the history of the business. Rick Roode had charisma for days. It's a it's a really strong unit and it's a shame that they were in WCW in ninety two and not maybe you know, 88 or 98 timings, everything, but in a different era, a few years, one way or another, this group would have done really, really big business. It just happened to come around at a time when the business was down. Yeah, it it did. But it is an
0: odd that uh, we had so many great stars and so many great talkers. And as you can see, they put Arn Anderson as part of that because he fit that mold of great talker, great worker.
1: Eventually, the Steiner brothers capture the tag team titles from Arn and Bobby again. Uh, and Arn is, is doing his best to make some chicken salad. He's bouncing around here, and he's kind of a, a bit of a ship without a sail. Um, Halloween Havoc 92 feels like a good one to mention. We've got Z Man and Johnny Gunn and Shane Douglas taking on Arn, Michael Hayes, and Bobby Eaton. Uh, there was a Clash of the Champions with uh, Kensuki Sasaki and Eric Watts defeating Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton. And this is during the Bill Watts era. And around this time, Bill Watts actually cuts the salary in half and Arn leaves the company for a few months. Any memories of this salary cut and Arn making a decision to walk? Well, yeah. It, uh, Bill Watts came in with a, with a gigantic
0: cleaver and he was cutting things right and left and, and Arn Anderson just, he couldn't. Arn Anderson Arn was like me in the way that and you know Arn is still
1: married to Aaron. And that says a lot about him, don't you think? In the it's, business? It's worth mentioning that everything about Arn Anderson is a little weird. And that Arn Anderson has <laughs> has since he got in the business has worked continually. So you're yeah. talking about over 30 years with really no mm-hmm. gaps in employment. You're right. also talking about a guy who still lives in the same town, and I think in the same house for more than 20-something years now. I've uh, mm-hmm. been married to the same woman. In, in wrestling, a lot of times there are there are multiple wrestling wives, and you've got you know little different families and hubs based on the territories you're in. Arn's with the same woman in the same house, in the same line of employment the entire time. Everything about Arn is a little weird, and in a good way.
0: Right. And and, and it, it's it's one of the reasons that he and I bonded so well is because we both had the same values, which were our family life. And even though that Arn traveled a lot and was away from his family much more than I was, that that was important to him. So for Arn Anderson to have his pay cut by it, it's not only the fact that Arn Anderson didn't like it, he couldn't do that. He absolutely, you know, Bill Watts cut my pay, too. Uh, so, uh, Arne wasn't the only one that was affected by Bill Watts.
1: Uh, the decision to come back is, is based out of necessity or right. did they, did they communicate and work something out?
0: They were well, both, but it's out of necessity.
1: Yeah. I mean, I know that's not popular to talk about, but man, people got bills. You got to go to work. Yeah, yeah, I
0: know you got, and you got kids, you got family.
1: Yeah. Uh, Arn didn't get a lot of heavyweight title shots in his career, but he did get one at Slambury ninety three. Barry Wyndham would defeat him to retain Barry's NWA World Championship title. Um was there ever any consideration to giving Arn an opportunity uh to run with the big belt that you remember? No, there wasn't, and it was something that we discussed a lot, not Arn and I, but
0: a lot of us in the back, that why shouldn't they let Arn Anderson at least win it one time? They let Tommy Rich win it many years ago. Uh, and it didn't last long. So what would have hurt if, what would it have hurt if Arn Anderson won the title at a house show and then dropped it a week later or so? Right. We all thought that that should have been done. No question.
1: Well, um, what should have been done is the horsemen getting back together. And in may of 93, it looks like Arn, Oli and Rick are going to reform the horsemen and he's supposed to come back and join but Arne has said that Tully wanted a certain amount of money and a set amount of dates to work. Arne says he has a problem with that because none of them had set dates at the time. So instead, they call an audible. When they're not able to work this deal out with Tully, Tully's testimony is that the money was said to be one thing, and then when it actually came time to put pen to paper, uh, that was not the case. So instead, Paul Roma joins the horseman and Arne uh has called Roma a glorified gym rat. Roma has had no shortage of bad things to say about Rick and Arn. Was this the worst version of the Horseman when you've got an aging oldie Anderson and Paul fucking Roma in the group?
0: Yeah, it, it was the worst version of the horseman. Now I, I I'm not familiar with what Roma had to say about Flair and Arn, but what in the world right would he have to talk about those guys?
1: Well, you know, they're upset two because the- they're old and they're slow and they don't look as good as me and they can't get the women I really? can and blah, blah blah as, blah, blah. as a shoot? That was a shoot interview? Oh, yeah.
0: What the fuck?
1: Yeah. Know your role. <laughs> Clash of the Champions <laughs> 93. We see Arn and Rick defeat the Hollywood Blondes uh, in two straight falls, uh, which is kind of a big deal because Rick and Arn. You know, while they did a lot of tag team work over the house show loops for many, many years, they didn't work together as a team very often on pay-per-views. So you could get a handful of times, but it didn't happen very often. And the blinds at the time uh, were were one of the more prominent teams in the organization. And I think history has probably forgotten this, but Paul Roma and Arn Anderson were actually tag champs together. Uh, they defeated Steve Austin and Lord Steven Regal. Regal was subbing for Brian Pillman. Uh, and this gives Arn and Paul the belts. They don't keep them for long though. They drop them to the Nasty Boys at Fall Brawl 93. You got any memories of of Arn tagging with Paul Roma? It feels and looks even all these years later kind of out of place. Well,
0: I you know, the, the we uh we covered one of the events uh on one of the earlier editions of What Happened When where Roma and Arn were tagging together. And when Roma came to the ring, and I'm watching it again, Roma came to the ring, and he didn't, you could tell that that he was very much to himself, to the point to where if you look into it and read into it, you're thinking maybe that Roma's going to turn on Arn. In reality, Roma knew he was doing the job that night. He was the guy doing the job. Right. So that t- tells me of, of any. Friction or any problems they had as a tag team, that Roma didn't feel comfortable about doing the job for the Horsemen, and it made for a very uh, a very odd and disjointed tag team.
1: Let's talk about, and we've only touched on this briefly, the Arn and Sid stabbing incident. I know you weren't there, but you're obviously really good friends with Arn. Uh, briefly carry us through in in your stories that you've heard from Arn. What happened?
0: Well, let, let me tell you. Let me tell you this. I am good friends with Arn. Arn did not want to talk about it that much, and Arn was very talkative about a lot of things. But Arn didn't want to talk about it that much because, in reality, there could have been, and I guess there was close to being a lawsuit. And this could have this something like this could have put Arn Anderson in jail, don't you
1: think? Well, yeah. I mean. Yeah. Stabbing folks on both sides. I mean, this is something that this is not wrestling anymore. No, it's not wrestling
0: anymore. And, and I'm going to, uh, I have since seen interviews on this from many different parties. Uh, and I'm going to take a stand here. If you go back and you read about it or you look, everybody has to has to own up to their own mistakes. Mm -hmm. But those mistakes were caused by a shit tour where guys were put into a pretty bad spot. Long plane rides, no rests, not much food, and more bus rides on top of that. Vader is on record to blaming the promotion for what happened. It is, it is well known that when you went out on the road back then, when boys went out on the road to a different country, and they were in Germany, to where nobody is speaking your, English, uh, speaking your language, and the communication is hard, and you're way, way far away from your family and your loved ones, and you have terrible c- traveling conditions, and you have little food, and you drink a lot, that things like that happen. And I'm sure I know it's something Arn Anderson regrets because he could have been he could have been arrested for it. Uh, he, Sid Vicious was not a very light guy and had a uh, a temper, and Arn Anderson just snapped. I think if I remember right, they flew into Germany, they got on a bus, they traveled like five hours to a town, and they wrestled that day. And then they got on a bus and traveled five hours to the next town, without sleeping. And then they were ordering food, and the food went to the room, and the the order got messed up. And I'm not defending Arn Anderson for snapping, but I can see how guys would snap, right? Because uh, apparently, and I'm I, I, I'm blaming WCW and I'm blaming the German promoters. Apparently, they didn't give a shit about the guys. We'll just yeah, we'll we'll fly them uh, whatever it takes to fly to Germany, eight hours, ten hours. Put them on a bus for five hours. You got to work. Put them on a bus for another five hours. Can you imagine? Shit! Minor league baseball doesn't do that. Right. They don't treat their guys like that. And we're talking about major stars. So uh, it's not something that Arn talks about much. And I don't blame him. Uh, I know. Uh, I know. Sid Vicious has done interviews about it. I know. Tooth Cold Scorpio has done shoot interview- shooting interviews about it. I can't do a shoot interview about it because I was not there. But I'm a friend of Arn Anderson. And I could see where he would snap.
1: Well, let's talk, um, about something that you've probably never seen. Aaron mm. Anderson and ECW. This is something that a lot of people probably even forget happens, but it's may of 94 Bobby Eaton tags with Sabu against Arn Anderson and Terry Funk. Any memories of this happening? Did you ever see a tape? Was there ever a conversation with him about working in ECW? I never even heard of it until right now.
0: Never even heard of it, but my God, Sabu and Terry Funk. And this was, was this, was this uh, after he uh, started having neck problems? Yes. Oh my God.
1: Yeah, this is 94.
0: Yeah, Uh, this is a guy that uh, obviously really wanted to support his family because I don't know with all the health problems that I would have had, had I done that? And I'm sure a lot of wrestlers did throughout the years, but my God,
1: it feels like a bit of a favor to Paulie dangerously in my sure opinion. it does. Yeah. Uh, fall brawl 94. We get a war games with the nasty boys, dusty and Dustin taking on Arn Anderson, Terry funk, bunkhouse, buck, and Colonel Parker. Is this one of the weakest war games of all time?
0: Yeah. Compared
1: to the first one. Yeah.
0: It, yeah. My gosh, it
1: feels like it fell off a cliff here.
0: Yeah, what what the Booker's are trying to do here uh, is the booking committee or the Booker's trying to do here is trying to recapture the excitement of war games, and what who are we going to put in there? Well, yeah, let's put anybody in there because the fact that it's just the war games will sell, and that's not really the case.
1: Halloween Havoc '94, Dustin Rhodes defeated Arn Anderson. It's kind of funny that ten years prior, Arn is battling with Dusty, and now he's battling. With Dusty Son, do you ever have any conversations about what Arn thought about working with Dustin in the early days here?
0: He didn't have a problem with that. He thought Dustin was a very good worker.
1: Sure, I think everybody did. Yeah. I, I didn't mean that in disparaging way. I think everybody knows Dustin's know super talented. I right. um, Starcade '94: Johnny B. Bad defeats Arn to retain the TV title, but on the main event, Arn actually gets the win over Johnny B. Bad and becomes WCW TV champion again in January of '95. I got to think somewhere in here, Arn has a hilarious way to talk about Johnny B. Bad.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He, he does. And, uh, he, uh, you know, refers to that glitter gun, the same, in the same way that you have, uh, <laughs> here on this program that he's going to have to go in and wrestle a guy with a 10 foot penis. Uh, it's basically what I remember him saying. Uh but uh again Arn's a pro, you know. Unc- do it
1: Uncensored ninety five, uh we've talked about this before. Johnny B. Bad knocks out Arn in round number four in a boxer versus wrestler match. How would Arn Anderson describe that debacle?
0: <laughs> he would describe that as as he always would, a clusterfuck. Uh and we covered that one before. That's when we they stuck the bucket on his head, remember? Yes. Yes. And that's uh, where I call him a buckethead on the air, which to me was one of the highlights of my my friendship with Arn Anderson. Being able to call that motherfucker a buckethead on the air after I did for so many years behind the scenes.
1: Uh Arn Anderson defeats Alex Wright to retain the T V title on Slam ninety five. Uh, how would Arn Anderson describe Alex Wright here? <laughs> he would
0: say, Jim Barnett's gonna
1: love what we're getting ready to do. <laughs> June 18th, the great American bash of 95, the renegade beat Arn to win the TV title. Arn would get a rematch at bash at the beach, but the renegade would win again. Uh, what did Arn think about losing to the renegade here? Not once, but twice on pay-per-view.
0: Uh, he would probably say something to the effect. At least I'm not losing to Joe Gomez. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Clash <laughs> of the champions, August 6, 95. This is one of the more hilarious moments in WCW to me. Vader beats Arn and Flair in a fucking handicap match. Oh my uh, god! And and Arn has gone on record as saying that Vader almost killed them both in this match. Your uh-huh. mem- your memories of this, or did you ever talk to Arn about the silliness of Arn and Flair losing a handicap match to Vader?
0: You know, Arn never did. Arn never did talk to me about uh, the the silliness of a finish or anything. He always talked to me about what you said about almost getting killed and what went on during the match, and having to work against Vader. Uh, God, we've seen so many, and you and I have covered so many Vader matches since we've been doing this, that one of the stiffest workers ever, I I just can't fathom how Arn Anderson, with a bad neck, would have even agreed to get into a match like this.
2: Holy shit.
1: Let's talk about... One of Arn's best matches of his career, and certainly one of the more underrated ones. If you haven't already, I encourage you to go watch Fall Brawl 95 because we've got Arn wrestling Ric Flair, and Arn actually gets a victory over Ric Flair. And this is yeah. a match that a lot of people thought they would never see because they're best of friends. They've been in the Horseman forever. Uh, Arn wasn't, quote unquote, at that level. So there's lots of reasons why people thought this would never happen, but it did, and he beats Rick. And Arn's even gone on record as saying, this is the only time he's ever thrown up before a match. He says, it's all from nerves. He did his pre-match interview, but on his way to the ring, he had to stop and throw up because his stomach was in knots. Uh, he never wanted to wrestle Rick because it was his best friend and he didn't think anybody would buy it. But in hindsight, he thinks it's probably one of the most memorable matches of his career, just because of the emotions involved. Did you have a conversation with Arn about this match and what it meant to him or Rick?
0: Well, look, I knew, I knew what it meant to both of them because they were, they were both very close. And I think that if you say this is a match that no one thought they would see, is a damn good reason to book it. Uh, I, uh, I knew they, loved, they both had emotions that night. The fact that Flair did the job and was working with his best friend, to me, just made it for a classic moment it well, was very Arn was very, you know, Arn is, is says a lot of funny shit uh and is very irreverent uh but in in situations like this he's not going to talk that much about it.
1: No, he's not. He'll keep and, it to himself. And it's yeah. a, it's a big deal and uh I encourage everybody to go watch it if you haven't already. Absolutely. Nitro of course comes to us in the fall of 95 and Flair and Arn are featured pretty prominently here. Flair gets a win over Arn by DQ on October 2nd, and that sets up a cage match the following week. I recommend everybody check that out. It's October 9th, 1995. Arn beat Flair in a steel cage match, so it's a pretty big deal. Um, This sets up, of course, Rick and Sting on one side of the ring, Arn and Brian Pillman on the other, the following week on Nitro, and it builds to Halloween Havoc, where we've got Sting and Flair wrestling Pillman and Arn, you probably have an idea what comes here. The horsemen are reformed. Chris Benoit eventually is the fourth horseman, but poor old sting gets turned on yet again by the dirtiest player in the game. Um, your thoughts on the way they carried this angle out in this series of Arn and Rick matches.
0: Well, the, the Arn and Rick matches were great. The fact that they turned on uh, sting, uh, to me was just another, a great part of the horseman legacy. And, uh, I think I, I actually enjoyed this, this, this little, uh, angle that they did and this run that Arn and, and Flair did. I think anybody would.
1: Uh, he finishes the year working some matches with new Japan. Obviously they throw him in the, uh, world war three battle Royal. Uh, but the next big thing that happens is January 96. We see Hogan and Savage defeat Flair and Arn on Nitro, uh, which is a, a pretty big deal. And we've covered this briefly in the past, but I guess we should mention it again here. February of 96 is where we see Super Brawl. It's supposed to be Sullivan and Brian Pillman in a strap match. Pillman goes into business for himself, or one would be led to believe that, but it turns out it was really a work shoot with he and Bischoff. Well, according to the rumor and innuendo, nobody in the back really knows what to do, so Arn Anderson comes out in the street clothes and wrestles, Arne, uh, wrestles Kevin Sullivan. You were there. What happened, and why was Arn the guy to go try to? make chicken salad, so to speak.
0: Well, I, listen, uh, this is what was a work shoot and Arn Anderson is a company guy and Arn Anderson, uh, I think realized what it was and, uh, I don't remember that much about it in the back with the exception of Arn and again, I think everything's work, right? Okay. I think Arn Anderson coming out as work, uh, whether he actually just said, fuck it, I'll do it.
1: I'm not sure. Let's talk about something we are sure about, and I know this is forgotten. I'm going to encourage everybody to watch it. February 12th, 1996 on Nitro, Arn Anderson pins Hulk Hogan. It's a pretty big deal when you're able to get wins in six months over both Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan at a time when not a lot of people could say that. Uh, The following week, February 19th, Arn would beat Hogan by DQ, and, of course, this is all building towards Uncensored 96, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. Uh, because we essentially have the mega powers, Hogan and Savage taking on the Alliance to end Hulkamania, which is Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Lex Luger, Kevin Sullivan, Ming, the barbarian, Z gangsta, ultimate solution, the IRS, the FBI, uh, Ted Turner, TBS, <laughs> TNT, USA, Bonnie Hammer, uh, Pat Patterson, Tommy Young. I mean, it's fucking ridiculous. We'll cover it another yes. time. Um, oh God. Slamboree 96, we see Flair and Savage defeat Arn and Eddie Guerrero. This is another goofy, lethal lottery. Um, Eddie Guerrero is a guy who was kind of on the upswing at the time. Did you ever have a conversation with Arn about Eddie Guerrero and his future in the business? Arn loved him. Arn thought he was a a future superstar
0: uh, and was a good kid who would do anything. And uh, Arn had a lot of respect for him, no doubt.
1: Things start to get a little weird in real life in '96, and the Bash at the oh, Beach '96 is no different. You've got the giant Kevin Sullivan on one side in a tag match, and they're taking on Arn and Chris Benoit. So, in theory, it's the Dungeon and Doom versus the Four Horsemen. But in real life, there's a whole lot of shit going on with Kevin Sullivan, his wife Nancy, and Chris Benoit. Does Arn Anderson have an opinion on that that you know of? No, does not. He didn't think that shit's weird. No conversation. Well, I,
0: we all think it is weird, but I don't think when, when it came to stuff like that, I think Arn Anderson, uh, left it alone.
1: Yeah. Well, let's talk about, uh, fall brawl 96. One of the more iconic pay-per-views in history. I can't wait to talk about it at some point in the future. We've got the NWO, which is uh, Hollywood Hogan, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash. And what we think is sting because we've just seen sting do some dastardly things. The prior nitro. Uh, they're taking on the four horsemen in a war games, which is supposed to be Rick uh, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and their two partners from WCW who aren't really horsemen, but they feel like they can trust Lex and sting. But now there's a question because of what happened the prior nitro. Can we trust sting? Uh, this was really one of the better angles and uh, happening at a time when WCW is on a major upswing. At this point, is Arn in favor of the NWO storyline? Does he get it? Is everybody excited about it? Or at this point in Arn's career, is this just another day, another dollar? That's what it is for him: another day, another dollar. In his career,
0: I mean, we're talking about a guy who is who has pinned Hulk Hogan, a guy who has pinned Ric Flair, a guy who has made a good living in the business. And a guy who is doing exactly what he's doing now, Conrad,
1: and that is just staying and working in the business. Let's talk for him. It's just another day, another dollar. He continues that through Halloween Havoc 96. And that's where we would see Luger defeat Arn Anderson by submission, but this is really the beginning of the end or maybe the end of the end because the day before Halloween Havoc, Arn goes to gold's gym and grabs a couple of 30 pound dumbbells and they just fell out of his hand and hit the floor. Uh, He tried to pick up the weight, but his thumb and first two fingers were unusable. From locking the car door and walking into the gym, a chip moved into a nerve canal and shut down his left hand. So the next day, if you go watch the Halloween Havoc 96 match, you'll see that Arn has no use of his left hand during the match. Yeah. Uh, One month later is World War III, 1996. Arn is a a participant in the three-ring battle royal. It's won by the giant. And sadly, that's Arn's last pay-per-view as a wrestler. Mm-hmm. Do you remember having a conversation with Arn during this time? Was he talking to you about being nervous about providing for his family? Would there be a spot for him in the office? Could he be an agent How else Could he participate or was he trying to just pretend it wasn't there and just work through it and rub some dirt on it? As we like to
0: say, yeah. he was trying to rub dirt on it is what he was doing. And Arn and I had a lot of talk about that because. And I had neck surgery in 1995. Uh, and he and I both knew what neck problems were about. Now, listen, I had neck surgery in 1995, and I'm a slug. Okay? I didn't go in and take bumps like he did. And I can only just imagine about having neck problems and, and taking bumps. Because unless you've had neck problems, you have no idea what 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 happens. You, you can't sleep. Aren't I, I talked frequently about the fact that Neither one of us could get a good night's sleep unless we were sedated at one time, uh, and uh, because you just you couldn't get comfortable, and you 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 know they have all these gimmicks with these pillows and and all these things and these mattresses, and nothing ever worked. Uh, so he was wearing down, uh, but I don't think. Well, I know, Arn Anderson was always going to be a part of the business uh, back in WCW back then, because he had a great mind for it. And that's proved out here now, uh, in modern day in current times, because he is an agent and he is one of the best guys. and maybe the best guy to set up a match.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of people, you know, don't really understand Arn's level of contribution because I feel like so many people think, you know, once 97 rolls around outside of sliding in the ring you know, at WrestleMania 18 to help Ric Flair in his match against the undertaker, he's just kind of hanging out in the back. I don't know that they really understand the level of commitment that Arn has to the business, even today. And, and the confidence that the WWE has, the confidence that WWE has is the face that runs the place. The guy is John Cena and the guy who's helped John Cena put together all of these pay-per-view and main event and WrestleMania and big time matches is Arn Anderson. And, um, Anytime you see our uh, Rick, now nah, I'll get it right. Eventually. Anytime you see John Cena have a barn burner match on pay-per-view and people are like, wow, for a guy that we like to mock that he has five moves of doom and blah, blah, blah. He put on a hell of a show there somewhere in the back. Arn Anderson's a proud papa. Would you agree yeah, with Arn that?
0: Anderson. I, I, Arn Anderson, I think is, is the guy that, uh, sets up all John Cena matches. Absolutely. And, and the reason is, is because John Cena wants him to set him up. Sure. Uh, and, uh, Arn Anderson is, is just, Arn Anderson is a great communicator of how things should work with the boys. He has a great deal of respect with the guys as we have documented here today, uh, because of what the time he's put in, but you got to go further than that. You got to be able to communicate finishes with the guys and have a knack
1: for what works and what doesn't work. And Arn Anderson has been one of those guys. Throughout the years, another thing that you know, I sometimes think I know something about wrestling because I read dirt sheets or watch it, but I don't watch it the same way Arne Anderson does. I had a conversation with him once about a guy on the roster, and he probably doesn't want me to say who, but I said, "Hey, who do you think's the most underrated?" And he said, "And I said, why do you think that is? What What about him makes him underrated or special?" And he said, "He never does the same combinations of moves. So many guys fall into a habit of routines." you know, drop down, shoulder tackle, blah, 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 whatever it may be. He says, this guy switches it up every time. So if you're on a house show loop with him, he'll do it ABC the first night. The next night he'll do it CBA. The third night he'll do it BAC. And the fourth night he'll do it yet another way. And it's different every time. And it works every time because he understands why it works. A lot of times guys are doing moves and they don't understand why they work. This guy understands why they work, so therefore it's no trouble for him to figure out where to put them. But so many other guys become paint by numbers. And that was like a master level explanation of professional wrestling that I don't think a lot of people can get unless they're sitting under Arn Anderson learning tree. And that's why
0: Vince still uses him, and that's why he's a valuable guy. And that's probably why. And Arn Anderson still puts in a hell of a lot of travel, Conrad. You know that as well as I do. Crazy amount, I mean, crazy I, amount of travel for an old fat guy to do what he does. Yeah, you know, uh, and just amazing.
1: It's worth mentioning. Everybody, you know, and we have we have told funny stories here too, where you know we would we would compare Arn Anderson when he maybe had over indulged as as to like a weekend at Bernie's type situation, and that's a funny ha ha. But it is worth mentioning. That again, when we say everything's a little weird about Arn Anderson, that too, Arn Anderson doesn't drink. And so there's, there's lots of, you know, people out there who think that every time you see Arn Anderson, he's got a case under each arm because Kevin Nash said something on nitro 20 years ago. He doesn't even drink. So, you know, he's, uh, he's changed his life around from that. The, the old partying horseman days are in the eighties. Uh, these yep, days are really gone. Arn's making towns and contributing in a big way. Let's talk about the end of WCW, though. Uh, there's a story that Arn was trying to lace his boots at a taping for WCW and Disney. This is very early 1997. And Bischoff notices Arn's hand and asks Arn, what's wrong with your hand? Arne tells him that it's been that way for a few months. And Eric tells him, according to the testimony we've heard, to take your boots off and go get it checked out. So Arn finally goes and does something he probably didn't want to do, and that's address what's going on. They do an MRI, and they say that the vertebrae 5, 6, 7, and T1, all Hmm. of the nerve canals are totally blocked. So by April, Arn has to go in for surgery to fuse the 5th, 6th, and 7th vertebrae in his neck, and his neck was so bad that he was suffering from paralysis in his left hand, and this surgery officially ends his in-ring career. And this is obviously something that is bigger than just wrestling. And we as fans, when we hear this, we just think, oh, well, he's done wrestling. But you've got to appreciate from his perspective, this is all he's ever done. This is his whole life. Everyone in his life he knows because of this. All of his friends and at this point all of his family is somehow ingrained in this business. And he gets his identity from being a contributor to this professional wrestling business. And Arn said that this was so hard for him to deal with. That he wanted to die. That this was just devastating news to him. Um, And that the post-op pain is the worst pain he had ever felt. And he wanted to try to figure out how to deal with this pain. And it was so bad that on the second day, when the pain meds aren't working anymore, he wants to make sure all of his affairs are in order. Because he just cannot deal with this. Um, So he goes through a depression Three months after the surgery, a guy comes up to Arne just to say hello and slaps him on the back to say hi, and Arne was holding a glass of water, and when the guy slapped him on the back, he dropped the glass. A jolt of pain goes through Arne's body, and to him, it was confirmation that his career was definitely over, and that incident with the glass of water happened just four days before the now-famous retirement speech on Nitro that happened 20 years ago this week, October, I'm sorry, August 25th, 1997. What can you tell us about the surgery, the decision to have the surgery, the way Arn felt after, and this this whole slap on the back incident when he realizes this is it? I don't remember the
0: slap on the back incident, but I do remember, obviously I remember uh, one of the greatest uh, interviews or promos, whatever you want to call it, that we've ever had. Uh, with Arne Anderson, I do remember the depression and I, and I did understand it. Arn Anderson took bumps. Arn Anderson could have been legitimately Conrad was a bump away from being in a wheelchair. He really was. A- and that was frightening looking back on it now. Um, and, and so I can understand the depression. Arn Anderson was old school. And always thought that you had to have some sort of value to the company as a performer to be able to keep a job. And that concerned him. And that scared him. And I knew exactly where he came from. I really did. Arne Anderson and I are, are alike in a lot of ways. In that we want to provide for our family and we're scared to death that unless we continue to do our job, we're not going to be able to provide for it. And that's why. And you know what? A pat on the back to Eric Bischoff for finally realizing that Arne Anderson needed, needed to go and, and get some help for this. Um, uh, this is in this is no uh, way is it uh, equal to what Arne Anderson uh, suffered, but I had C3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 fused in 1995. And when I went to the doctor, my canals were so blocked that the doctor put me in a hard collar. And told me that if I would take a, without the hard collar, if I would be rear-ended in a crash, or I would have a jolt to the back of my neck, or the on my back, that I could be in a wheelchair the rest of my life. He told me that. Uh, and then I quickly got surgery. Same thing with Arn. He gets a slap in the back, and he realizes that his career is over.
1: Well, and it's over. It's a over. Sad, it, it, sad moment, it really is it's a, at a very young age too. And, and I feel like a lot of people kind of overlook just how young Arn was there. And, and part of that, and we've joked about this in the past with JJ J. Dillon. It, it's because, you know, Arn Anderson has looked 40 his entire life. You know, I'm not saying that to be funny, but I'm just saying you look at Arn Anderson in 1987 and you look at him in 1997, he doesn't look that doggone different. Um, He's just kind of always looked the same age. Arn was only 38 years old when he retires and gives that infamous speech on August 25th. To put that in comparison, he's 38 now. Brock Lesnar, whom I invented SummerSlam yesterday, 40 years old. John Cena, 40 years old. Randy Orton, 37. Samoa Joe, 38.
0: Yeah, okay. Listen, they all.
1: Are thirty eight in a different era? No, I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying. Imagine right. if if Samoa Joe had to come out tomorrow, and announce, "Hey, this is it. I can't wrestle anymore." People would be like, right. "Oh, he's too young." Right. But but it felt like Arn had been around forever, and Arn looked forty forever. So it just right. felt like, man, this is a shame. But you don't think about it being two years younger than John Cena is today. I don't. Yeah. No.
0: I. I but the fact is that it has enabled him, the retirement, unfortunately it's enabled him to, uh, to have a life afterwards. Absolutely. There's a lot of guys, there's a lot of guys, his age that can't walk
1: now. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of guys who just aren't his age too. You know, that's exactly, exactly. Didn't make it. And, and we're going to talk about the retirement speech and the parody, uh, in long form, I'm sure, but. Uh, let's briefly cover it here. Arn has said the speech is the most real thing he ever did in front of a camera. And he said, if he would have seen Rick's face during it, he wouldn't have been able to get through it because it was a real moment to Rick and Arn as a friend of both, what did that speech mean to you?
0: Uh, to me, it just brought everything together from when I started to what I was doing, it brought back the flood of memories of the great times that we had. And what he had meant to wrestling, so it had a personal meaning for me because I was friends with Arn.
1: We're going to play Arn's retirement speech at the end of this week's show, and I hope everybody stays tuned for that. And I'd like for you to actually see the visual. So fire it up at some point this week uh, on your uh, network. It's August twenty fifth, nineteen ninety seven. It is available on the network. You've got to see it. You'll hear it here, but we want you to see it. And and Arn Anderson. Was one of the all time greats in front of the camera behind the curtain, Tony, in your opinion, what is Arn Anderson's legacy to professional wrestling going to be
0: Arn Anderson's legacy to professional wrestling was he, his interviews are going to be the standard for what interviews should be in the sport. His, uh, dedication to the sport is what young guys now should emulate. Uh, not everybody should put their body or their uh, their career, or their livelihood, on the line like Arn did. Uh, but everybody should be able to take the ability to work and take the ability to talk and take the love for the business and the respect for the business that Arn Anderson has had and apply to their craft today. I can't think of anybody better to be able to mold these kids uh, than Arn Anderson. Uh, to me. They the uh, People ask me, and, and uh, they've said this before. I've gotten this on Twitter. Well, who is your Mount Rushmore of wrestling? Well, when you talk about the big stars, you put Hogan, you put Flair, you put The Rock, you put uh, Stone Cold on there. But when you talk about what guys have meant to the business, Arn Anderson's face belongs on the Mount Rushmore of wrestling. Oh, goodness, of course. But what me, let... they meant to the business. I'm not talking about necessarily what... They meant to the business as far as what the fans have seen, but what they've meant to business as far as what he has meant to,
1: uh, just the, the contribution the backstage area. Yeah. Not, not just, uh, not just box office, but every piece of it, you know, every, every place you can contribute. And I do think, uh, you know, the Mount Rushmore question, which is super popular amongst wrestling fans, it really is a personal thing. It's not saying to me. You know, who drew the most money? Well, now you're just asking for scientific data. There's no debate. It's no opinion. And in your opinion, Arne Anderson's on your Mount Rushmore, and I think he's got to be on mine too. But look, let's take some questions uh, real fast. Let's do some rapid-fire questions from Twitter. We asked you, hey, have a question for Tony Schiavone about the enfor- enforcer? Just reply to this tweet. If you haven't already, throw us a follow on Twitter. We're at Monday on Facebook. We're facebook.com forward slash Monday. Uh Adam wants to know why do you think Arn never got a world title push?
0: Well, that's the uh that's the million dollar question. It is. Uh maybe he was too valuable in other ways.
1: Okay. That's not an I answer haven't. I don't think I was ready for. Um Harma- I don't know. A lot of people would say they didn't feel like Arn had the look. That Arn didn't have the the look to be the world champion. But I think well, if well, Arn was, if Arn came along 10 years before, he's every bit of the look as Harley Race.
0: Yeah, or as Dory Funk Jr. or sure. as Jack Briscoe.
1: But I think maybe the idea is by the late 80s and the early 90s, people were looking for more, you know, matinee idol looks as opposed to a badass you wouldn't want to mess with down at the bar like a Terry Funk or a Dory Funk or a Jack Briscoe or whomever.
0: Yeah. There's another side of that. There's another side of that too. Not pointing fingers at anybody. Sure. But if Arn Anderson uh, should have gotten a world title shot, why
1: didn't one of the world champions back then go to the promoter and say, you know what, let's put him over and I'll put him over. Do you think it was almost a, a Ricky Bobby type situation from Talladega nights with Rick and Arn? where it was? What if I win once? Well, well, because I win. Do you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need Dave Silva or somebody to take Ric Flair and Arn Anderson's face and put them on the Talladega Knights characters there. Our movie barbecue says that Arn not ever have a suggestion for a horseman that got shot down by management. Not that I know of. No, not at all. Fuzz wants to know any good Arne or Klond- and Klondike bill stories.
0: <laughs> you mean together? Sure. <laughs> no,
1: no, I don't. No, I, I don't mean that they went on glass bottom boat rides together. I was asking, right. right. You know, did Arn have a funny or hilarious take about Klondike Bill and his shenanigans? Uh
0: well, Arn called him one of the greatest perverts of all time.
1: Sure. Uh
0: and uh that was about as far as it went.
1: Uh late to the nitro party wants to know, what was Arn's attitude about Mongo in the horseman? It seems like Arn and Benoit were tasked with carrying him in all of his matches.
0: Yeah, Arn Anderson did that, but you know, Arn would Arn would say things jokingly, but he would never run down a person or run down a guy. He always tried to make it work regardless of how limited work rate they had. And I know our buddy, Matt Coon loves Steve Mongo McMichael. Uh, but, uh, but Arn Anderson tried to make it work with him.
1: I I don't know where this comes from, but it is hilarious just to read this word out loud. Did Arn really give major guns a cat bath? (laughs) Like I don't I've never even heard that and maybe that was a promo or something I missed once upon a time. I know it didn't happen in real life, but a cat bath is something that I I, I think I'm gonna have to use from now on. So thanks for that, I, I Ivan. Um <laughs> I would have loved to have, if if he had, I would have loved to have been there, man. Uh Jim Ashley wants to know, and this is kind of a fun question, what were Arn Anderson's favorite drinks? We ask because as wrestling fans, we've always heard that Ric Flair loved kamikazes. We know that you know, Steve Austin loved his, his Steve Weisers. What yeah. was Arn Anderson into beer? Any, any particular brand, um,
0: Miller lights.
1: Oh, I like that. See, it's part of the, it's part of the redneck radius. Uh, Arne and you, was a beer drinker, buddy. In your opinion, um, who was a better partner for Arn Olie Tully, Larry Zabisco, or beautiful Bobby. Tully was Four Horsemen, th- the faction with Rick being known as the leader and world champ. The primary reason Arn never got a run as world champ. That's a good point. That you know, Arn Anderson kind of
0: everybody kind of took a back seat to Ric Flair. How many people that were Four Horsemen throughout time became a world ch- the world heavyweight champion aside of Ric Flair, beside Ric Flair.
1: I mean, I think we've got lots of questions here. Like, and this is a fun one. If Rick Flair had never gotten into wrestling, would we be talking about double-a as the greatest of all time instead?
0: Uh, that's good. Quite possibly. Yeah. And we might be talking about him as a world champion. I'm not saying that Flair look, don't misconstrue this. I'm not sure. saying that Flair prevented that from happening. No, no, no. But that would have, if there was never been a Rick Flair, Arn may have been elevated to that top spot.
1: I think, uh, we should end this. He could, some...
0: he could have, he could have grown his hair out, but that would have been horrible looking. That would have looked, that was like, you know, <laughs> there was a Arn Anderson, uh, doll, the first Arn Anderson figure that came out. I grabbed it and looked at it and it had a bald spot on the back. I don't know if you ever saw that or not. It mm. looked like, it looked like he had a tan yarmulke on. I love that. And I grabbed it and I said, Hey. Are you Jewish? He said, "What the fuck you mean?" And I and I showed him the doll. I said, "This thing's got a fucking yarmulke on it." Uh, but we we always you know laughed about washing his hair with a wash rag, uh, and things like that. So uh, he didn't have the 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 flowing locks, um, but he could certainly have been elevated to being a world champion.
1: Dan Ryan on Twitter has a, a great question. We should end the show with, and then a couple of fun stories from you what were some of Arn's classic one-liners we've heard okay. the joke about when, um, Arn would pick up a toilet brush and say, Hey Luger, I found your toothbrush. Right. Uh, and, yeah. and we've heard that he had a nickname for everybody. He famously right. named Ric Flair beak, which is right. kind of funny because he has a big nose. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he called J.J. Uh, J. J. Dillon, Johnny bench. Cause, right. um, His sack full of nuts. There you go. Yeah. So he had these nicknames for everybody. Do you remember, uh, any other classic one-liners you've told us before when Ron Reese was nervous about the Halloween havoc 95 finish that when he comes back through the curtain as the mummy, Arn says, scratch everything. I said, go kill yourself. That monkey fucking a football gimmick ain't going to get it. So there's, there's lots of fun Arn isms out there. Can you share a few with us now?
0: He called, uh, he called Luger Mr. Ed, too, because of his teeth. Had a mouthful of teeth like Mr. Ed. You would have that. to have watched the, the old show to realize that. Uh, that's, uh, and, and, of course, we mentioned he called uh, Zabisco Cigar Store Indian. Uh, he, called, <laughs> he called the Kansas Jayhawks uh, Bobby Jaggers and uh, Dutch Mantell a flapjack wino and a man with a throw rug on his back. Uh, and th- that brings me to uh, one of the great Arn Anderson promos that you may never have seen. Arn Anderson and Jimmy Garvin and Precious were going to Lynchburg to wrestle the Kansas Jayhawks. And back that time, they would have a big show like Greensboro where everybody was on it. And then they would have another spot show somewhere else, where they would have just like one big main event. And in the other, in the other event, it was Jimmy Valiant against somebody, and Arn Anderson was wrestling with Jimmy Garvin, and uh, Precious against the Kansas Jayhawks in Lynchburg at the Armory. And I was doing the promo, and I brought in Jimmy Hart and Arn Anderson and Arn Anderson's comes in. I said in the main event that night it's the Kansas Jayhawks against gorgeous Jimmy Garvin with Precious and Arn Anderson and let's bring in gorgeous Jimmy and Precious and Arn Arn Anderson said, "Okay, Shivani, let me get this right. All the main stars, everybody else is going to to Greensboro and they got me in Lynchburg. I'm going to be on top in Lynchburg. And they booked us, Jimmy, with a flapjack wino and a man with a throw rug on his back. And Jimmy Garvin and Precious floating his hair, you know, uh, 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 spraying him with whatever. He said, don't worry about it, A because I'm going to be have the private plane, and you can go with me on that private plane, and we're going to leave here from Charlotte, and we're going to fly to Lynchburg. We're going to get rid of the Kansas Jayhawks. We're going to hop in the private plane and get back. It's going to be a great trip. And Arn Anderson said, (laughs) as we're going to black, ooh, I hope there's whiskey on that plane. Three, two, one, and we went to black. One of the greatest local promos ever from Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson also, uh, and this is a a story I alluded to, uh, Lois had gone to the doctor. Uh, We had two kids. Lois had gone to the doctor, and Arn Anderson and I were very good friends. And we were in the back, and I saw... I was doing promos and all the guys in the back, and Lois walked in. She had gone to the doctor and she was talking to Arn. And Arn completely stopped the interview. Said, Everybody stop. Everybody stop. And Arn Anderson always called me a dumpy old sawed off WAP. Uh, and he said, I just wanted to announce to everybody here that our sawed off, dumpy, old Wop has impregnated Lois again, and they're going to have a third baby. Can you believe that? And Lois is smiling and he's just giving me shit about being a dumpy old wop and impregnating my wife again. So I found out that Christopher, who you met, was going to be born thanks to Arn Anderson amidst the boys that day in oh, the backstage wow. area. So he, he knew before you knew? Yes, he did. Wow. I knew awesome. Lois had to go to the doctor. I didn't know what it was about and found out she was pregnant with Chris through Arn Anderson that day. So that's how close he and I have been. And we still t- talk today. Loving. Well, absolutely loving. Me, Just like I love Ric Flair.
1: I feel like we, uh, we need one more story before we get out of here. I need you to confirm or deny. Is it true that Arn Anderson once bet Sid vicious to put a pet squirrel in his pants for 60 seconds? And that Sid not only considered this, but accepted the bet and won. but while he was running around in Sid's pants, the squirrel went nuts, maybe literally and bit Sid in his gimmicks and therefore Sid had to go to the emergency room because he wanted to prove to double a that he could do this and he won the bet and the money. But he may have lost the war with his nuts in the ER. Uh yeah. Yeah.
0: That I've heard that, that story's true.
1: If that right there is not you know, excuse enough to to get in a a, a scissor fight with a man, I don't I don't know what I was the
0: same thing. That's a good reason to stab a guy with a scissors.
1: Oh, God bless Arn Anderson. God bless Arn Anderson and God bless the nature boy, Rick Flair. We're going to come to you next week and we're going to do something uh, totally different. We're going to do another Q and a episode, but this time we're only getting the questions from Facebook. So I encourage you right now, cruise on over to our Facebook page. It's facebook.com forward slash WHW Monday. And you're going to see a post right there with an image, and then you'll be able to pile your questions in underneath. You're not going to be restricted to 140 characters like on Twitter. If you've got something that needs a backstory or a little more detail, go ahead and fire it off and tune in next week when Tony and I take your questions uh, and nothing's off limits. Ask whatever you'd like to ask. We may not answer it, but you're welcome to ask it. But the only place to ask this question is over at our Facebook page. It's facebook.com forward slash WHW Monday. And Tony, when I look at my clock here, I can't help but feel like, about that time
0: we are going to end this program today with a donut match as arn anderson takes on conrad thompson in a donut match both men are looking for catering guys and both are going to take these donuts back with them tommy young is waiting in the back the barbarian is with him and dave silva and they all will enjoy the donuts together uh, maybe the Barbarians going to enjoy something else. But we're out of time this week.
2: We'll see you next week on What Happened When? Monday. It's a pleasure to hold the microphone, Mr.
3: Anderson, up for you on this occasion. Well, Gene, all I can tell you, to get a response like this means what I got to say tonight means that much more. You see, I'm a realist. And everybody knows I've got average size and speed and average ability, but I've parlayed that into what I would call a very successful career. And I did that on sheer will alone. But another reality is four months ago, they took four vertebrae out of my neck. Consequently, I'm left with a hand, my left hand, too weak to hold a glass, too weak to button a button. But I thought in my mind, I knew in my mind, I could overcome that too, through sheer will. And I was doing just like that. I think I've come back a long way, but the other day I had something happen in the gym that was like a cold slap in the face of reality. A guy about your size, Gene, came up and he slapped me on the back and he said, Double A, where you been? We hadn't seen you on TV. And just that slap sent a jolt through me and I dropped the water I was drinking and just for a second, my system shut down and it became crystal clear as I watched the few little drops of water draining out of that bottle, the symbolism that was involved. It was like someone had turned an hourglass over and the sand was running out on the career of Arn Anderson. Now the fact of the matter is, not only do I put myself in a suicide situation by trying to wrestle again, I endanger these two men's careers, and I respect them too much for that. And other than be anything than the enforcer, in my best friend's eyes, I'd rather walk away. And for all you people out there that have ever bought a ticket to see Arn Anderson wrestle, whether you love me, or you hated me, when that bell rang you got all i had that night whether i won whether i lost i gave you everything i had and you knew that and when you did this to me that was your acknowledgement well the fact is i got nothing left to give and i want you to remember me as i was not as i am but being the man that i am my last act Formerly as a horseman, I got one last challenge, and that's to you, Kurt Henning. Now, don't misunderstand me, it's not for a fight. You got something special. I've seen you in this ring. Your skills, your maturity, your commitment to excellence makes you something special. And what my challenge is to you, Kurt, is stand beside my best friend. Ric Flair, and lead these two men back to the glory and the prominence that the four horsemen once had. And I'm going to tell you what your prize is. It's not a spot with the horsemen, because this is worth a lot more than that to me. I'm going to give you the only thing I got left. Not a spot, not a spot. I'll give you my spot.